Well, this morning uh, we are continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark, and if you'd like to follow along, there is a short outline in the bulletin where you can follow along with the passages that we will be going through today. Well, I'm curious if you have ever had an experience at a worship service that was a little different than what you're used to. Maybe going to a, a church or another worship service where they do things differently than we do here at Bethel. And I've been getting that experience as well, that things are done differently here than they were at previous churches I've attended. But maybe you've been somewhere that's really different. Maybe you went to a Roman Catholic mass. Or maybe you went to a somewhat of a mega church like the Bible Chapel in our area. You can feel very out of place when things are not done the way you're used to them being done. It can feel very disorienting. Maybe it was something small, like the person behind you when saying the Lord's Prayer said trespasses, and you were saying debts, and that messed you up. Or maybe it was the person in front of you raising their arms during a worship song. You're like, hey, I can't see the words on the screen. You know, maybe you weren't sure when to sit down or stand up and everyone else was doing it and you didn't know what you were supposed to do. Maybe you felt really overdressed or maybe you felt really underdressed and you just felt out of place. Like, I don't think this is right. It just feels weird. Well, it can feel weird when people practice their religion in a way that is different from us. And our passages today ask the question of Jesus that why isn't Jesus doing things the way that other religious people did them? Why was he so unusual? Why couldn't he just fit in and do things the way we were used to doing them? Well, like last week, we're going to look at three consecutive passages in the Gospel of Mark which share a theme. And so this week, each passage starts with Jesus and his disciples doing something a little differently than the religious order of the day. And the religious people are trying to figure out, like, what's the deal with this guy and his disciples? Why is he so different? Why is he unwilling to adhere to our rules of the day? So we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark, beginning in chapter 2, verse 18, and we're going to read through the beginning of chapter 3, verse 6. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, uh, beginning in chapter 2, verse 18, uh, going through verse 6 of chapter 3. Now John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to Jesus, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? 
And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your holy word that we may know about your son, Jesus Christ, that we may know who he is, why he came, and what he means for the world. And I pray that this day your spirit might go forth with your word and bring about change in our lives, that we would bear fruit from the word in our lives because of your power working in us. Help us to hear the truth, that I may speak the truth, to receive the truth, and then to live the truth, believing it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So kind of the big idea I want us to see is that Jesus is a little different because he is the true lawgiver. He is the one who gave the law. He has been there from the very beginning, and he corrects the way we misuse our religious rules. So he corrects our misuse of religious rules. And we're going to look at these three stories to ask, well, why is Jesus so different? Why does he act so differently? So the first story, beginning in verse 18, starts with a question from an unnamed group of people. It just says they. Some group of people were curious. And they ask, why do John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples, why do they fast, but Jesus, you and your disciples, do not fast? Now, the fasting they're talking about was weekly fasting. The Pharisees fasted twice a week. That sure sounds fun. And John the Baptist's disciples had some kind of similar practice. We don't know for sure, but it must have been regular. And so Jesus was being asked, why don't you do that too? You're a religious teacher and you've got a group of followers. Why don't you do this similar practice? And Jesus, not one to answer a question directly, uses some colorful imagery. He asks if wedding guests can fast when the groom is present with them. Obviously, the answer is no. During the wedding festivities, when the groom is present, fasting is out of place. A wedding is a time of celebration and of feasting. It is not a time of fasting. That as long as the groom is present with the guests... It is a time of joy. And joy is what was missing from the religious culture of the day. 
that the Pharisees and the other religious groups of that time created very detailed lists of rules that they would follow. And the point of their rules was so that they wouldn't ever even possibly break one of God's commands. And I imagine that sounds a little familiar to us, that to be more religious means following more rules. And often those rules are about avoiding pleasure, avoiding joy, having kind of a holy, somber discontent. That being more religious or holier is seen as requiring a stricter code, a more disciplined way of life. And these twice-weekly fasts were one example of this. Now, according to the Old Testament, those were not required. There was only one day that you were required by Old Testament law to fast. One day in the whole year. And they're doing it twice a week. It said you were allowed to fast at other times, but nowhere is it a command of God. It is something they added to God's law. That by following these greater laws, they would never disobey God's law and hope that they would receive God's blessing, his favor, perhaps even salvation. But when we treat religious laws like this, when we create our own, the attitude that we get is often one that lacks joy. But Jesus is bringing joy. He compares himself to the groom saying that his presence, being with them, necessitates a time of joy rather than somberness and sorrow. The point of his words is that a wedding is about joy. And that when the groom is with you, it is a joyful time that without a groom, there is no wedding. Without a wedding, there's no reason to celebrate or have joy. So Jesus is saying, I'm the groom. There's something unique about me that me being with my disciples means there is joy. See, Jesus was presenting a different message than that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were holding to some kind of man-made religion. Man-made religion is this, that I obey these things, therefore I am accepted by God. It means our obedience makes us right with God. But the problem of thinking that way is it creates anxiety. It creates uncertainty, and it certainly does not create joy. You see, our obedience is an ever-changing thing. We have ups, we have downs, we have good days, we have bad days. And so we will always be in doubt Was our obedience enough? Was it enough that God will accept me? That we can always end up worried and anxious that we haven't done enough to earn God's love. Or maybe we think we've done a great job. Maybe we think we've done a great job obeying the laws we've created and then we become proud thinking God owes us for how much we have done for him. But either way, There is no joy. It is either a source of pride or it is a source of anxiety, but none of that is joy that Jesus is talking about. You see, Jesus brings something different than man-made religion. Instead of bringing more rules, Jesus is bringing the gospel. The gospel is good news, not good rules. His message was that God accepts you and loves you, and therefore we obey God. We obey God out of a love for what he has done for us. That our acceptance in God's eyes is not based on what we do, but it is based on his love for us. 
And so in that way, when we obey, it is not worrying whether or not we've done enough. It is saying, thank you, God, for saving me. And I desire to live for you because of your love for me. And there's great joy for that. It is fueled by the joy of being saved. And so this message Jesus was proclaiming was fundamentally different than what the Pharisees were talking about. And he does this with two images of the cloth and the wineskins. I'm sure many of us brew our own wine and animal skins. Maybe not. Okay. Maybe we do sew some cloths and patch some things. But these images help illustrate the incompatibility of Jesus and the Pharisees. That just like unshrunk new cloth cannot be put on an old garment because it won't assimilate, it won't mix, it will pull apart. So Jesus and the Pharisees have something radically different. And just like wine expands during the fermentation process and needs something flexible, we need some new container for what Jesus is bringing. That the old ways, the old regulations of doing things are different. They will not hold the joy that Jesus is bringing. And so Jesus is saying, I have brought new wine, new wine that needs fresh wineskins. He's saying, you need to see religious rules in a different light, a completely new way. But this new way was not something altogether new. It was the original purpose of the law. Why did God give us the laws? Now, I could stop and let Andrea cover it all because she did a great job talking about why did God give us the laws. But our other two stories point us in that direction. Our second story starts again with, hey, why don't you and your disciples do what everybody else does? But this time the discussion was not about fasting. It was about the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was a much bigger deal than fasting. See, along with circumcision, Sabbath observance was one of the two major things that separated the Jewish people from all other people. It was one of their distinguishing marks that made them feel like who they were. And when Jesus started messing around with Sabbath, people got upset. So Sabbath comes from the fourth commandment, which we read in our Old Testament reading, that Jews were required to not work on the Sabbath day. That is how they would keep it holy. And so in Deuteronomy, Moses ties this command to their being saved out of Egypt. That when they were in Egypt, they were slaves. Slaves don't get days off. Slaves work every day. And so God was overjoyed to give them this day to rest. That you are no longer slaves, which is why Deuteronomy emphasizes if you have servants in your house, give them the Sabbath. You are required to let them work, for we do not hold people like slaves like the Egyptians did. But it also points us back to the very beginning. When God created the world, that after he created everything on the sixth day, on the seventh day, God was finished, and he rested. It was a sign that the work was done, that our work is to be done so that we may rest on the seventh day and be happy that it is finished. Now, that sounds fun, the Sabbath, but the Jews had some major issues with it. How do you define work? Is cooking work? Is cleaning work? Is changing a poopy diaper work? Is taking out the garbage work? Was walking work? Was brushing your teeth 
work? Did people go to worship on the Sabbath smelling bad because they didn't want to get clean on the Sabbath? Well, the Pharisees and other religious groups were really worried about breaking that command to not work. So they created supplemental Sabbath rules that would keep them from ever possibly breaking the command, do not work. They were like fences surrounding something dangerous, that they set up these fences to keep them from the idea of work, and the fences were set farther out just to make sure we didn't get close to that command, do not work. And Jesus and his disciples hopped one of those fences. We see that Jesus and his disciples were walking on the Sabbath, and they walked past a field of grain. And the disciples plucked some of the heads of grain for a snack. And the Pharisees believed that this was breaking the Sabbath because they were doing work. They were harvesting grain. Now, if that is considered harvesting grain, then I believe ordering pizza is considered cooking dinner. Am I right? That's what I think. I, like, I would like the Pharisees in that instance. But Jesus did not point to pizza delivery as dinner. No, he pointed to a different kind of response, a response that may confuse us a little bit. He references a story in 1 Samuel 21 in the Old Testament that at that time David was on the run from King Saul because King Saul was trying to kill David. And so he was weary and he was in danger and he came to this town, went into the house of worship in that town, and he asked the priest for food, probably thinking that if he asked any of the townspeople, they might kill him. But the priest didn't have any food except for the bread that was set aside, especially for God and for the priests. But David still ate that bread. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't allowed to eat that bread, but he ate it nonetheless. Now, Jesus had the whole Old Testament. I have to believe he knew a lot of it, if not all of it. So why choose this story? It seems like a weird thing to choose. You see, David was in serious need. People were trying to kill him, and he was hungry. The disciples were walking along like, ooh, that looks tasty. That's not danger. That's not need, necessarily. David broke one of the Old Testament laws. Jesus hopped the fence that the Pharisees made. That's not breaking a law. And I don't think Jesus is saying, well, if David's allowed to break laws, I'm allowed to break laws. That doesn't seem like Jesus' type of thing. So I think Jesus is up to something else. I think Jesus is showing us the character of God's law. See, the Pharisees saw the character of God's law and their additions to it as primarily restrictive. It prevents us from certain things. Whereas Jesus seems to be seeing the character of the law as a provision, that God has provided this for us. Essentially, Jesus is saying that God is a God who primarily provides rather than restricts. And in David's case... He was in need, and what he needed God to provide for him at that time was bread, and bread was provided. And in the disciples' case, what they needed, I guess, was a little snack to hold them over through worship. And so God provided the grain fields that they walked by that day. Was that work? Well, I think God did the work of raising up the crops. God provided those for the disciples, So Jesus is trying to show the Pharisees that they are missing the character of God's law. 
They miss the beauty of the law and how it provides for his people because they're focused on the restrictions. It's all about the restrictions for them. And the Sabbath was the perfect example of this issue, of this difference of opinions. See, when we think of the Sabbath, do we see the Sabbath as a restriction or a provision? Is the Sabbath a time when we are not allowed to do what we want and restricted from basic activities? Or is the Sabbath a time when God provides for our rest and our renewal? It's the same thing, but it is a different perspective. Is the Sabbath about following minute rules and making sure you don't mess up? Or is the Sabbath about resting from our work and remembering God's blessings in our life? See, in the Sabbath, God provides something. Yes, it is a restriction, do not work, but he is providing rest. And by adding lots and lots and lots of rules to the Sabbath, it ceases to become about rest. Because you're worried, you're anxiously nervous. Did I do anything that was close to work? I took a hundred steps. Was that too many? Did I do enough? Did I, did I maybe break God's commands? That is not rest. That is not in any way, shape, or form rest. That when our minds are busy working overdrive on God's holy day, worrying whether or not we have done something wrong, we are not at rest. And the Sabbath is for our rest. See, when Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, he is saying that humans were not created to fill God's cosmic need for a board game. I am so glad, Andrew, that you brought a game because I was going to talk about this. That It's not like God said, you know what would be really fun? I'm going to create the world, and it's going to be like Sabbath, the board game. And I'm going to put these little figures on there and make sure they follow all these beautiful rules that I've created. Jesus is saying, God didn't make Sabbath and then make us to fit in the Sabbath. He made us and said, what do these people need? They need rest. That's what they need. That Sabbath is a gift from God that gives us rest. It is a beautiful thing for his people, something we can today enjoy, and not in a way that is strict and obsessive about rules, but in a way that is restful, in a way that is remembering what God has done for us. And I'm not just saying this because David was up a lot last night, and I really want to nap. But it is always good to be resting. You see, the Pharisees had lost sight of the character of God's law because they lost sight of the character of the lawgiver. They forgot who this God was that they were obeying. What kind of God is he? Is he giving us just all of these things to do and do and do? Or is he giving us things that are for our good? They had made their Sabbath rules into their God, into their Lord, instead of following the Lord of the Sabbath. And so we see the character of God's law. And our third passage shows why we need to see it so much. And it's that the Pharisees are not alone in the ways they misuse God's law. That we also have a tendency to take God's law and twist it, to misuse it, to use it in ways that God did not 
intend, that we take his good commands and we can even twist them so much that his commands seem bad for us. So at the beginning of chapter 3, we see this very clearly, that Jesus enters a synagogue on the Sabbath for worship. Maybe Jesus walked past those grain fields to get to the synagogues, or maybe it was a separate day. We don't know. What we do know is what the Pharisees were doing in worship that day. The Pharisees were not sitting there preparing their hearts for worship. The Pharisees were not praying to God. The Pharisees were not listening to the word of God so that they might serve him better. The Pharisees were watching Jesus. Because in the synagogue that day sat a man with a withered hand and they were watching Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Now, I don't want us to miss the absurdity of what is happening here. The religious leaders of the day are in the religious place of worship for a time of worship on God's holy day, and they see God's teacher and a healer and a man in need, and they are watching, but not with joyful expectancy that God is going to do something great this day, but watching to make sure Jesus doesn't do something great this day. Watching to make sure this man isn't healed. We will catch Jesus. Their their logic is literally, we are going to keep Jesus from doing something good on God's holy day. Not on our watch, Jesus. You are not going to do that today. No wonder Jesus says, He was grieved at their hardness of heart. No wonder Jesus is angry. How upside down is this? The Pharisees thought that healing people on the Sabbath was work and that that work was forbidden on the Sabbath unless someone's life was in danger. Now, this man, granted, his life was not in danger. And so essentially the Pharisees were watching. They wanted to know, is Jesus going to wait until tomorrow or is he going to break our rule? What is he going to do? It can totally wait till tomorrow. You can't do that nice thing on God's holy day. You better wait. You better wait, Jesus. They wanted to see if Jesus would break the command to not work. And whoa, boy, did he ever. Jesus did the very difficult, strenuous, sweaty work of saying, stretch out your hand. He didn't heal him. He didn't take him to the hospital. He didn't scrub in. He just said, stretch out your hand. Is that work? Is that work? That is why Jesus asks them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Jesus completely dismisses the question, was what he did work? He just gets to the heart of the Pharisees and is like, do you even see what you're doing? You don't even know good and evil anymore. You are so busy painting and constructing and putting barbed wire on your fences that you don't even know why the fence is there or what it's protecting. What is wrong with you? Unfortunately, the Pharisees are not some unique group of people in the history of humanity. That our sinful nature leads us to do the same thing to God's laws. That we can despise God's rules. We can twist them to our liking. We can confuse even basic matters like good and evil, right and wrong. 
And this is because from the very beginning, the great deceiver, Satan or the devil, used this practice. That in the garden with Eve, he came to her and said, did God really say that? Is that really what God wanted you? You don't think God wants what's best for you, do you? He's keeping something from you. And then we see in the New Testament reading from this morning, Satan tried it again with Jesus. He's using scripture in that second temptation, trying to use God's own words to tempt and trick Jesus. He can use God's words for his twisted purposes. And so can we. And it's a danger that we must beware. That how often do we look at God's commands and see them as drudgery? See them as constraining what we want to do. See them as fun ruining. See them as closed-minded or outdated. How often do we take select passages and judge others with them and kind of push aside those passages that we violate? How often do we make our own preferences, our own likes and dislikes into equivalents of God's law, expecting other people to follow Jesus exactly the same way we do? How often are we judging people in other worship services because they do it weird? How often are we twisting the law of God? See, the scariest thing is that the Pharisees thought they were absolutely right to be doing all of this. They were certain that they were doing the right thing, that they were trying to stop Jesus from breaking the Sabbath. They thought they were honoring God by their interpretations of the rules, that they couldn't see their own error. They were blind to their blindness. They couldn't see it. And so we need to go to the law of God and to the lawgiver and say, open my eyes to see my errors. Open my eyes to see how am I misusing your law? Are we obsessive about his laws, worrying and anxious about them like the Pharisees, or are we joyfully appreciative of them that God gave them to us in his wisdom and therefore our good. Do we see his commands as restricting us from what we want and what we think we need? Or do we see that they provide for us everything we need to serve him joyfully? Most importantly, does our understanding of the law match our understanding of the lawgiver? For they are so interconnected. The law reflects the character of God. Now this series of passages ends on a very foreboding note in chapter 3, verse 6. See, the Pharisees were so incredibly upset that Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath that they immediately get together with others and plan to destroy Jesus. Now the word for destroyed in the English Standard Version is also found in chapter 2, verse 22. The NIV translates them differently due to context, using ruin for the wine, because I guess you don't destroy wine, and kill for Jesus, because when you destroy a person, you kill them. But the roots of those words in Greek are the exact same word for destroy. And I believe he's drawing a connection between those two verses. That in verse 22, Jesus says, 
No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. The Pharisees recognize Jesus and them are incompatible, that there is no compromise, there is no accommodating one another. They see that just like the wineskins, something's going to burst. Either Jesus or them is going to be destroyed, and they try and get the jump on it, saying we're going to destroy him before we are destroyed by him. Little do they know that by destroying Jesus, they are making this new way of the gospel possible, a way that had been promised long ago. For when Jesus died, he died the death that we sinners deserve as lawbreakers and misusers of the law. He took the punishment that the law says is for sin so that we might be forgiven. And his perfect obedience to the law, his righteousness is given to us by faith as if we had perfectly obeyed his laws. And so we can confidently and joyfully stand before God knowing that we stand not on our own ability to keep the law, but the fact that he did perfectly obey the law. And so we know we don't have to anxiously worry whether or not we've kept all of God's laws well enough. That should give us great peace, a kind of spiritual rest, a Sabbath of sorts. That Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, gives us rest from the fear and uncertainty of man-made religion so that we are free to see God's laws not as a burden to follow but a joyful guide for our life because we have been saved through the work of Christ. We receive them as God's good provision. So, as Andrea told the kids, let us look in his word to see both the laws and the lawgiver. And let us seek to obey them, knowing he's graciously given them to us for our good. But we know because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we obey in joy. We obey in thankfulness knowing that the great lawgiver, the Lord of the Sabbath, has rested and finished his work as God did at the end of creation, saying, it is done. All that was required to make you right with God is done. Trust in him for your salvation. Find your rest in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. O gracious and merciful God, we thank you that you are a God who gives rest, that we are not climbing some stairway to heaven through our own good deeds, tripping and falling every step of the way because we are imperfect, but that you came down that stairway, that Jesus descended to us and showed us, here is perfection, here is the righteousness I require, and you cannot do it, but here I have done it for you. God, let us receive that. Let us trust in him. Not getting swayed by Satan that we have not done enough, falling into bad doubt, whether you love us or not, because you love us in Christ. May we have that rest, that peace that we are given in Jesus. And may we enjoy the laws you have given us, even something that can seem so weird or bad like the Sabbath. May we rest knowing it is a remembrance that you give us the deepest rest, 
the spiritual rest knowing Jesus has saved us. May we all know that here this day. In Jesus' name, amen.